Chapter 23 of Fairy Fingers by Anna Cora Mowat Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 23 Noble Hands Made Nobler. After the Marchioness de Fleury had departed, leaving her astonished guest in the drawing-room, Monsieur de Bois was the first one to break the silence. "'And you, Mademoiselle Bertha, are you also horrified at this revelation?' he asked. "'I?' asked Bertha, making an effort to collect herself. "'No, I can never be horrified at any act of Madeleine's, for she could never be guilty of any action that was unworthy. I am only so much astonished that I feel stunned and confused, just as Maurice does. See how bewildered he looks. The Countess had now recovered her voice and said, in a tone trembling with indignation, It is infamous! A degradation we could never have anticipated, rejoined Count Tristan. She has disgraced her family, disgraced our proud name for ever, responded the Countess. Do not say that, aunt, pleaded Bertha. She has not even used your name, though it is as rightfully hers as yours. Do you not observe that she has only allowed herself to be called by her middle name, and that everyone speaks of her only as Mademoiselle Melanie? Bertha, as she spoke, bent caressingly over her aunt and took her hand, but the attempt to soften the infuriated aristocrat was futile. The countess replied with increasing wrath, "'I tell you she has humiliated herself and brought us to the last degree. She has brought shame upon our heads.' Gaston de Bois was walking up and down the room, thrusting his fingers through his hair, flinging out his arms spasmodically, and, now and then, giving vent to a muted ejaculation, which sounded alarmingly emphatic. When he heard these words, he could restrain himself no longer. He came boldly forward and planted himself directly in front of the countess, unawed by her forbidding manner, exclaiming, no madame that i deny mademoiselle de gramont has brought no shame upon her family she no longer belongs to my family retorted the countess i disown her henceforth and forever and you do rightly my mother added the count we will never acknowledge her never see her again Maurice and Bertha, we expect that you will abide by our determination. Maurice did not reply. He stood leaning against the mantelpiece, lost in thought, his eyes bent down, his head resting upon his hands. Bertha, however, answered with spirit, I make no promise of the kind. Nothing could induce me to cast off my dear Madeleine. Monsieur de Bois seized her hand and involuntarily carrying it to his lips said with mingled enthusiasm and veneration you are as noble as i thought you were i knew you would not forsake her bertha raised her eyes to his face with an expression which thrilled him and she answered you will defend her monsieur de bois you 
who can perhaps disperse the cloud of mystery by which her life has been enveloped for the last four years you will tell my aunt how madeleine has lived what she has done you will tell us all about her that i will gladly replied he that is if i can i never in my life so much desired the power of speech he broke off and in an undertone gave vent to certain exclamation which indistinctly reached the ears of the countess and bertha their amazed looks did not escape his notice and he continued ladies i ought to ask your pardon possibly my expressions have sounded to you somewhat profane i am under the sad necessity of using very strong language i cannot loosen my tongue except by the aid of these forcible expletives i must must speak for i who have known all mademoiselle madeleine's noble impulses can best explain to you her conduct the last word which was the only one which he stammered was followed by another emphatic ejaculation bertha without heeding this interruption asked and have you known where madeleine was concealed all this time yes mademoiselle i knew and it was you who assisted her to leave brittany it was i that was about the first good action which brightened my life and 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 another muttered oath to assist his articulation i hope it was only a commencement tell us tell us everything quickly prayed bertha mademoiselle madeleine when she determined to leave the chateau de Gremont, when she resolved to cease to be dependent when in spite of her noble birth which was her only encumbrance she proposed to gain a livelihood by honest industry confided her project to me and what good she did me in making me feel that i was worthy enough of her esteem to be trusted she first committed to my charge her family diamonds her sole possession and ordered me to dispose of them her diamonds those which have been in her family for generations what sacrilege it cried the countess in accents of horror pardon me madame it would have been sacrilege she thought and so did i if she had kept them when their sale could have prevented her being the unhappy recipient of the unwilling charity of her relatives go on go on urged bertha how did she leave the chateau how could she travel i obtained her a passport for it would have been running too great a risk if she had attempted to travel without one the passport had to be signed by two witnesses fortunately two of my friends at rennes were about to leave the country i selected them as witnesses because they could not be questioned i told them the whole story and bound them to secrecy we took out the passport for england to divert pursuit but mademoiselle madeleine only went to paris and it was not necessary that her passport should be visaed if she remained there but the diamonds they were those madame de fleury wore and which i recognized exclaimed bertha i made a false step there 
But it was just like me to bungle, continued Gaston. I know that the Jew, Henriquet, often had transactions with the Marquis de Fleury. I took the diamonds to another Jew from whom I concealed my name, and suggested his taking them to Henriquet, hinting that the Marquis would probably become their purchaser. The Marquis is a connoisseur of jewels, and, as you are aware, at once secured them. The sum realized was sufficient to supply the simple wants of Mademoiselle Madeleine for years. But this did not satisfy her. Her plan was to work. When she heard that the diamonds were in Monsieur Le Fleury's possession, she embroidered a robe upon which the lilies and shamrock were closely imitated, and took her work to Vignon, Madame de Fleury's dressmaker. Vignon was amazed at the great skill and taste displayed in the design and execution, and offered to give the embroiderer as much employment as she desired. Madame de Fleury, being the most influential of Vignon's patrons, the dress was exhibited to her. She was at once struck and charmed by the coincidence that allowed her to become the possessor of a dress upon which the exact design of her new jewels had been imitated. She asked a thousand questions of Vignon, who gladly monopolized all the credit of inventing this novel pattern. From that moment, Mademoiselle Madeleine's fairy fingers commenced their marvels upon the celebrated courtier's direction, and Vignon daily congratulated herself upon the mysterious treasure she had discovered. Mademoiselle Madeleine now determined to remain in Paris incognita. She worked night and day, scarcely allowing herself needful rest. But alas, she worked with ceaseless heartache, a heartache upon your account, Maurice, for she knew how wildly you were searching for her, and when you fell ill. Maurice interrupted him. It was she who watched beside me at night. I knew it. I have always been convinced of it. Was I not right? I was bound not to tell you, but there can be no need of concealment now. Yes, when the Sieur de Bon Secours, we had engaged to take care of you during the day, left, and would have been replaced, according to the usual custom, by another to watch through the night, we told her no watcher was needed before morning. Mademoiselle Melanie made herself a garb resembling that worn by the sisterhood, and every night. When the good sister we hired left, Mademoiselle Madeleine took her place. We thought your delirium would prevent your recognizing her. Probably it did at first, returned Maurice, but for many nights before I spoke to you, I was conscious. I was sure of her presence. When you did speak, I was startled enough resumed Gaston, and it was a sad revelation to Mademoiselle Madeleine, for, when your reason was restored, she could not venture any more to come near you. Did she go to Dresden? How came my birthday handkerchief to be sent from Dresden? asked Bertha. That was another piece of stupidity of mine. You see what a blockhead I have been. Mademoiselle Madeleine wished to send some token of assurance that she thought of you still, but it was necessary that you would not know she was in Paris. I had the package conveyed to a friend of mine in Dresden, and desired him to remove the envelope and send the parcel to Bordeaux. Though you were in Paris at the time, 
it would not have been prudent to let you suspect mademoiselle madeleine was aware of your sojourn in the metropolis but when the postmark induced maurice to start to dresden i saw what a fool i had been it was just like me to commit some absurdity i always do i could not dissuade maurice from going to dresden but mademoiselle madeleine wrote a note which i enclosed to my friend and desired to have it left at the hotel where maurice was staying after that i was more careful not to commit blunders the other birthday tokens you received mademoiselle bertha i always contrived to send you by private hand thus there was no postmark to awaken suspicion but how came madeleine here to america inquired bertha when the marquis de fleury was appointed ambassador to the united states mademoiselle madeleine learned that madame de fleury sorely lamented her hard fate and mourned over the probability that she would be obliged to have all her dresses sent from paris this would be a great inconvenience for she often liked to have a costume improvised upon the spur of the moment and completed with fabulous rapidity mademoiselle madeleine had frequently thought of america and felt that the new country would present a field where she could work more advantageously than in paris she desired Vignon to suggest to madame de fleury that one of the assistants in her favorite couturier's establishment the one with whose designs madame de fleury was already acquainted might be tempted by the certainty of the marchioness's patronage to visit america madame de fleury was contented and immediately proposed that mademoiselle melanie should sail in the same steamer vignon allowed two of her workwomen to accompany her the sum mademoiselle madeleine had realized from her diamonds enabled her to hire a modest house in washington and to furnish it tastefully on her arrival she sent for mr hilson perhaps you remember him mademoiselle bertha he once dined at the chateau de Grémont. here the count uttered an exclamation of violent displeasure but monsieur de bois went on he had requested mademoiselle madeleine if she ever visited america to let him know he called upon her once and she frankly told him the story of her trials and the conclusion to which they had forced her he highly approved of her energy her zeal and spirit she made him promise to keep her rank and name a secret he brought his wife and daughter to see her and they became her staunch admiring and helpful friends through them alone she would quickly have been drawn into notice but a more powerful medium to popularity was at work the sensation produced by madame de fleury's toilettes caused all washington to flock to the exhibition rooms of mademoiselle melanie who was known to be her couturier soon it became a favor for mademoiselle melanie to receive new customers she was forced to move to the elegant mansion where she now resides it is one of the grandest houses in washington and mademoiselle melanie has only one more payment to make before it becomes her own the fact is people have gone crazy about her 
Those who seek her merely upon business when they come into her presence are impressed with the conviction that she is not merely their equal, but their superior. And they treat her with involuntary deference. She is rapidly becoming rich, and she has the glory of knowing it is through the labor of her own dainty hands, her own very fingers. Oh, all she has done was truly noble, said Bertha with enthusiasm. It was disgraceful, cried the countess fiercely. She might better have starved. She has torn down her glorious escutcheon to replace it by a mantua-maker's sign. She has stooped to make dresses, to receive customers abominable. Monsieur de Bois, for a moment forgetting the courtesy due to the rank and years of the countess, replied indignantly, Madame, did she not make your dresses for three years? Have you not been one of her customers, an unprofitable customer? The profit was only the difference between what she did at the Chateau de Grémont and what she does in the city of Washington. Sir, exclaimed the countess, giving him a look of rebuke, which was intended to silence these unpalatable truths. You are right, Monsieur de Bois, answered Bertha, not noticing the furious glance of her aunt. That was a random shaft of yours, but it hits the mark, and strikes me as well as my aunt. Yet I thank you for it. I thank you for defending Madeleine. I thank you for befriending her. I shall never forget it. Never. Bertha frankly stretched out her hand to him. He took it with joyful emotion. Whom would she have to defend her if I did not? Since her family discard her, since even an able young lawyer utters not a word to plead her cause, he added, looking reproachfully at Maurice, but she shall never lack a defender while I live, for I love her as a sister, I venerate her as a saint. To me she is the type of all that is best and noblest in the world, the type of that which is greater, more valuable than glory, more useful than fame, more noble than the blood of the countess and duchess, honest labor. Bertha's responsive look spoke her approval. And what do I not owe her myself? Continued Monsieur de Bois. It was her words long before her sorrows began, which rendered me conscious of the inert purposeless of my own existence. It was the effect produced upon me by those words which made me resolve to throw off my sluggish, indolent melancholy and inactivity and rise up to be one of the world's doers, not breathers only. The change I feel in myself came through her. Even the very power of speaking to you thus freely comes through her. For she encouraged me to conquer my diffidence, she made me despise my weak self-consciousness, and I cannot offer her a sufficient return, no, not if I took up arms against the whole world, her own family included, in her defense. In my presence, no one shall ever asperse her nobility of word, deed, or act. Bertha's speaking eyes thanked him and encouraged him again. In spite of the manifest rage of the countess, he went on. But 
Mademoiselle Madeleine now holds a position which needs no champion. She has made that position herself by her own energy and industry, and the unimpeachable purity of her conduct. In this land where labor is a virtue, and the most laborious, when they combine intellect with industry, become the greatest. In this land it will be no blot upon her noble name, when she chooses to resume it, that she has linked that name with work. She will rather be held up as an example to the daughters of this young country. No one, except Mr. Hilson, not even her zealous patron, and devoted admirer, Madame de Fleury, yet knows her history, but everyone feels that she merits reverence, and everyone yields her spontaneous veneration. The young women who she employs idolize her, and she treats them as kindest and most considerate of sisters' might. Some among them belong to excellent families, reduced by circumstances, and she has inspired them with courage to work, even with so humble an instrument as the needle, rather than to accept dependence as inevitable. She is fitting them to follow in her footsteps. If her relatives scorn her for the course she has pursued, she will be fully compensated for their scorn by the world's approval. All eyes had been riveted upon Gaston as he spoke, and no one perceived that Madeleine was standing in the room a few paces from the door. Bertha's exclamation first made the others conscious of her presence. Madeleine, we know all. Oh, what you may have suffered! Oh, how noble you have been! Madeleine, you are dearer to me than ever, far dearer! The tears that ran softly down Madeleine's cheek were her only answer. Bertha, as she wiped them away, said, These are not like the tears you shed that sorrowful day in the chalet, that day when you must have first made up your mind to leave us. Do you remember how you wept them? Those were tears of agony. You have never wept such tears since, have you, Madeleine? No, never. I could not then comprehend what moved you so terribly, but at this moment I understand all your sensations. Now that we have met again, there must be no more tears. You know that I am of age now. I am mistress of my own fortune. And you and I must part no more. You must come and share what is mine. You must have done with work, Madeleine. That cannot be, my good, generous Bertha. My day of work has not yet closed. Bertha, claimed the Countess, who, until then, had stood trembling with anger and unable to command her voice. Bertha, have you quite forgotten yourself? Remember that you are under my guardianship, and I forbid your having association with Mademoiselle de Gremont. Madeleine advanced with calm dignity towards the Countess, and said quietly, Madame, Aunt. The Countess interrupted her imperiously. Aunt, how dare you to address me by that title? You, a dressmaker! When you forgot your noble birth and lowered yourself to the working classes, making yourself one with them, when you demeaned yourself to gain your bread by your needle, 
Bread which should have choked a degraymont to eat. You should have forgotten your relationship to me, never to remember it again. If I did not forget it, madame, answered Madeleine, with calm self-respect, I was at least careful that my condition should not become known to you. I strove to act as though I had been dead to you, that my existence might not cause you mortification. I could not guard against the accident which has thrown us together once more, but for the last time, as far as my will is concerned. This meeting was not Mademoiselle Madeleine's fault, cried Monsieur de Bois, coming to the rescue. It was my folly, another blunder of mine. I was dolt enough to think that you had only to see her for all to be well, and, instead of warning Mademoiselle Madeleine that you were in Washington, I kept from her a knowledge which would have prevented your encountering each other. It was all my imprudence, my miscalculation. I see my error since it has subjected her to insult, and yet what I did, he continued more passionately, regarding Maurice as he spoke, was for the sake of one who, Madeleine, seized with a sudden dread of a manner in which he might conclude this sentence, broke in abruptly. Were I not indebted to you, Monsieur de Bois, for so many kindnesses, I might reproach you now, but it is well for me to learn this lesson. It was well for me to be certain that my aunt would discard me because I preferred honest industry to cold charity. Discard you, rejoined the countess furiously. Could you doubt that I would discard you? Henceforth the tie of blood between us is dissolved. You are no relative of mine. I forbid you to make known that we have ever met. I forbid my family to hold any intercourse with you. I appeal to my son to say if this is not the just retribution which your conduct has brought upon you. The Count answered with liberation, as though he were pondering some possibility in his wily mind, as if some idea had occurred to him which prevented his fully sharing in his mother's wrath, or, rather, which tempered the expression of his displeasure. Madeleine's situation has rendered this most proper and natural course open to us. She could not expect to be formally recognized. She could not suppose it possible, however much consideration we might entertain for her personally, that the Countess de Gremont and her family should allow it to be known that one of their kin is a dressmaker. Madeleine is too reasonable not to see the impropriety, to use a mild word, there would even be in such a suggestion. I see it very plainly, answered Madeleine, not unmoved by the Count's manner, which was so much gentler than his mother's, and not suspecting the moment which induced him to assume this conciliatory tone. The Count resumed. We wish Madeleine well, in spite of her present degraded position. If circumstances should prolong our stay in Washington or America, and it is very possible they may do so, we will only request her to remove to California or Australia, or some distant region where she may live in desirable obscurity, and not run the risk of being brought 
even into accidental contact with us. No, no, exclaimed Bertha vehemently. We shall not lose her again. We must not. You may all discard her, but I will not. I will always acknowledge her, and I must see her. She is dearer to me than ever. I will not be separated from her. Did Bertha see the look of admiration with which Monsieur Dubois contemplated her as she uttered these words? The Countess asked in an imperious tone, Bertha, have you wholly forgotten yourself? I will never admit this intercourse. I forbid it. If you are willing to brave my displeasure, I presume Madeleine, ungrateful as she has proved herself to be for the protection I granted her during three years, will not so wholly forget her debt as to disregard my command. How often Madeleine had been reminded of that debt which her services at the Chateau de Grémont had cancelled a hundred times over. Before she could respond to her aunt's remark, Bertha went on. You do not comprehend my plan, aunt. Madeleine, of course, must give up her present occupation. There is no need of her pursuing it. I am rich enough for both. She will live with me and share my fortune. Madeleine, will you not refuse me this? For nearly five years I have mourned over our separation and wasted my life in the vain hope of seeing you again. You would be ashamed of me if you knew in what weak frivolous, idle manner, I have passed my days, while you were working so unceasingly, and with such grand results. I shall never learn to make good use of my hours, except under your guidance. Long before I reached my majority, I look forward gladly to the time when I should be a free agent and share my fortune with you. My aunt knows that I communicated my intention to her before you left the Chateau de Grémont, and now, Madeleine, my own best Madeleine, you will let the dream of my life become a reality, will you not? Say yes, I implore you. Bertha had spoken with such genuine warmth and hearty earnestness that a colder nature than Madeleine's must have melted. She folded the generous girl tenderly and silently in her arms, and, after a pause, which the countenance of her aunt made her aware that the proud lady was on the eve of breaking, answered sadly, It was worth suffering all I endured, Bertha, to have your friendship tested through this fiery ordeal, and to know that your heart cannot be divided by circumstances from mine. But your too liberal offer I cannot accept. The path I have marked out I must pursue until I reach the goal which I am nearing. An incompleteness in the execution of my deliberate plans would render me more miserable than I am today in being cast off by my own family. Do not speak such cruel words, returned Bertha. They do not cast you off, that is, I do not, and never will, and I am sure. She turned to look at Maurice, who had stood silent through the whole scene, leaning upon the mantelpiece, his head still resting on his hand, his eyes fixed upon Madeleine, his mind too full of conflicting emotions for him to speak. 
above all other images rose that of being whom madeleine had declared she loved did she love him still was he here did he know her condition was monsieur de bois whom she had entrusted with her secret monsieur de bois who had protected and aided her the object of her preference maurice could not answer these torturing questions and the happiness of once more beholding the one whom he had so fruitlessly sought made him feel as though he were passing through a strange wild dream which but for one doubt would have been full of ecstasy when bertha appealed to him by her look he could no longer remain silent you are right bertha madeleine is to me all that she ever was i am as proud of her as i have ever been more proud i could not be to renounce her would be as impossible as it had ever been madeleine who had appeared so firm and composed up to that moment trembled violently her heart seemed to cease in its pulsation a cold tremor ran through her veins a mist floated before her eyes exquisite happiness became exquisite pain she turned as though about to leave the room but her feet faltered in a second monsieur de bois was at her side and gave her his arm she took it almost unconsciously the voice of her aunt restored her as suddenly as a dash of ice-water could have done your father's commands and mine then maurice are to have no weight we order you to renounce all intercourse with this person whom we no longer acknowledge as a relative and you unhesitatingly declare to her in our very presence that you disregard our wishes this it seems is the first effect of mademoiselle de gramont's renewed influence which we have before now found so pernicious do not fear madame answered madeleine i will not permit make no rash promise madeleine interrupted maurice my father's wishes and my grandmother's must ever have weight with me but when i honestly differ from them in opinion i trust there is no disrespect in my saying so blindly to obey their commands would be to abnegate free agency and self-responsibility i have not forgotten said the countess freezingly that the first disrespect towards me of which you were guilty was originated by mademoiselle de gramont i perceive that she is again about to create a family feud and separate father and son grandmother and grandchild all her noble sentiments and heroic acting have ever this end in view during the period that she concealed herself from us she has evidently never lost sight of this great aim of her existence and has closely calculated events and bided her time that she might manoeuvre with additional power and certainty she has not disgraced us enough she is planning the total downfall of our noble house no matter whom it buries in the ruins it is not sufficient that we have to blush for the dressmaker who would exchange the device graven upon her ancestral arms for that of scissors and thimble 
but she is laboring to bring her disgrace nearer and fasten it more permanently upon us monsieur de bois who felt madeleine was clinging to his arm as though her strength was failing answered for her the daughter of the duc de gremont has not become less noble madame through her noble industry she has not brought to her own or any other cheek a blush of genuine shame i who have watched over her from the hour that she left the chateau de gremont claim the proud privilege of giving this testimony no duchess has the right to hold her head higher than the duc de gremont's orphan daughter before any one could reply he led madeleine from the room and out of the house the movement which maurice and bertha at the same moment made to follow her was arrested by the countess before they had recovered themselves madeleine was seated in her carriage and had driven away monsieur de bois was walking rapidly to his hotel End of chapter twenty three